You may go ahead and have a seat. It is so good to be here with you. Welcome this morning. If we have not met, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to uh, serve in our care, what we call our care ministry. And so, uh, man, it's a privilege for me to be here with you today. And, and welcome. Thanks for uh, planning on spending this hour here together. I mean, there's something about getting together with believers uh, on a Sunday morning that no matter what's going on in your week, no matter what kind of week you've just had, that there's something that lifts our, our spirits, isn't there? There's something about getting together that just uh, brings healing to our souls. And so thanks for being here this morning. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, we are in our three, uh, our third week of our series, Walking Through the Letter of the Philippians. It's in the New Testament of our Bibles. It's a letter written a long time ago by a guy named Paul. And uh, he writes this letter to the Philippians. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But we've called this series, When Life Gives You Lemons. And you've heard the phrase, uh, the, the old proverb that says, when life gives you lemons, you do what? You make lemonade. All right. Now, what kind of ridiculous statement is that? I mean, think about it. Like, does that mean anything? In fact, if you've ever been going through a difficult time and someone told you that, it probably wasn't helpful in the least, right? In fact, you've probably never ever heard that statement from someone who was in the middle of a season of suffering, have you? Whenever you hear that statement, it's probably from someone whose life is going pretty well. And usually, you know, we, we, and I'm not blaming anybody, we like to say things that might sound nice to try to help someone feel a little bit better, but really it's kind of a, a, a pointless statement, isn't it? In fact, I got curious and thought, I wonder what other kind of pointless statements about lemons people have said uh, about hard times in life. And so I asked Google, and you know, you can ask Google a lot of things, and, and here's what Google tells me. When life gives you lemons... Uh, you learn to juggle, okay? When life gives you lemons, take them, don't waste food. When life gives you lemons, freeze them and use them to throw at your enemies using some sort of trebuchet. I think that guy was at the Renaissance Festival when he thought of that, okay. When life gives you lemons, uh, squirt them in someone's eye. Uh, when life gives you lemons, keep them, because hey, free lemons. All right? And then my favorite is when life gives you lemons, you tell life to get a life because lemons are a terrible gift. All right, all very helpful things for people who are going through difficult times. But, but here's the thing is like we all go through difficult times, don't we? In fact, some of you right now are going through one of those and, and you think about lemons as an upgrade. I mean, you, you hear when life gives you lemons, and you're like, man, I'll take lemons compared to what I got. I mean, what I got isn't lemons. What I, lemons would be an upgrade. What I got is atom bombs that have been dropped in my life. And I know that about many of you. I get to hear your stories of heartache. Like when life just totally goes upside down. When relationships are broken, when, when, when you lose that loved one, when, when something doesn't go right, when, when life is totally upside down, lemons would be a welcome gift. But what you got, you don't got lemons, you got atom bombs. So what do you do? What do you do when life gives you lemons? Instead of making lemonade or some other ridiculous answer, what do you do? And, and I'm curious for you to think about that question, like what do you really do? Not what should you do, but as you look at your life, as you look at your past, as, 
as you look at those seasons of, of, uh, of difficulty, what do you do? I mean, for some of us, maybe we just push it under the rug and just sort of pretend like everything's okay and hope that those things just go away and resolve themselves. For some of us, we, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try really hard to, to, to keep ourselves busy and maybe distract us from the difficulties. Maybe others of us, we, we, uh, we get really ticked off and, and man, we are just walking around life just ready to throw down with anybody who gets in our way. We get cranky, right? We get hangry. What do you do when life gives you lemons? What, what, is, what is it that you do? You see, the question isn't if the lemons are coming. The question is, uh, could there be could there be a different way that we respond to hard seasons? Could there be an invitation from God for us that when life gives us lemons, when life drops an atom bomb in our laps, that we don't have to respond like we always have? What would that invitation look like? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be looking in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. If you want to follow along, we're going to be uh, starting in verse 14. But just a quick little setup uh, about this letter. This is Paul writing to this church that he started in Eastern Europe and Macedonia in this little town called uh, Philippi, which was actually named after Alexander the Great's father. Now, Philippi had a lot of retired Roman soldiers that lived there. I mean, think of like Philippi as the modern day U.S. equivalent of Florida, that when you retire, you go to Florida and drive a golf cart. It's awesome, right? This is, this is where retired uh, workers in the empire go to live uh, after retirement. And so you can imagine the, the level of uh, patriotism and nationalism that was going on there in Philippi, which added a whole new layer of difficulty for Paul. You see, it wasn't now just about preaching Christ to people, preaching the gospel to people, but it was about convincing them that Jesus was actually higher than the emperor. And so the cost for uh, the Philippian people to actually follow Jesus wasn't just simply something they could add on to their daily life. You see, what they had to do in order to follow Jesus as a Philippian was to actually commit treason against Rome, saying that Jesus is higher than the emperor, and I'm, I'm following him because he is king of kings. So you can just imagine the, the, the pushback that Paul had when he showed up there in Acts 16 with his buddy Silas. In fact, they were thrown in jail that night. They were thrown in jail, arrested because they were preaching the, the good news. They were thrown in jail. That night they were up singing hymns to God, and an earthquake comes, rattles the jail cell, the doors open. Not only that, the chains fall off. The guard freaks out, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be killed for this mistake. I'm going to fall on my own sword. And, and Paul and Silas stop him, and they're like, no, 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 don't do that. We're all here. By the way, Jesus loves you. The guard comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Read about it. It's an amazing, amazing story. But that is what's going on in Philippi. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage these believers because they are in a difficult situation. They are being oppressed, being beaten up, being persecuted, and, 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 and their life, Philippi, is, is full of lemons for them. And so we're going to pick up in verse uh, 14, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 14 through 18, then we're going to go back and look at a few uh, different little sections. But listen to this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, there's a lot here in these few verses. We're going to go back at verse 14 and look at this. He says this in verse 14. Do all things. Which things? All things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I have to stop here for a moment. For those of you who are parents of teenagers, Paul is not talking to his teenage kids, okay? Or younger, if you have kids at all, right? Can you just do this without grumbling or disputing? Although we don't use those words, right? But here's what Paul is saying is, look, Philippians, I want you to do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing. Now, these are two of our favorite things, <laughs> In fact, when you look at grumbling, right? When you look at grumbling, this word, it, 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 it means like the, the secret talk. It's the meeting after the meeting. It's the rumors, right? It's the, can you believe that she did, blah, 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 right? This is grumbling. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a word that's considered onomatopoeia. And if you're like, what in the world is that? I haven't been in English class since high school. It's a word that sounds like what it is, like buzz or zip. Grumbling is like, grumble, 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 right? It's walking around grumbling about everything, right? In, in fact, let's, I, I want to hear from you. I know this isn't maybe normal, but, but I want to kind of hear from you guys right now in the moment, a few brave souls. What are some things as you look around our world, everybody's grumbling about something. What are some of the things that you hear people grumbling about? Traffic. Well, I heard a few, but I didn't catch any of them. Hard work. Hard work. Politics. Oh, man. Some of you are like, I wasn't grumbling until now. <laughs> what else? Inflation. I mean, relationship. Here's the thing. We can go on all day, right? Why? Because there's a lot of things to grumble about. I mean, your, your work, your, your marriage, taxes, gas prices, driving. I mean, come on, right? There's a million things to grumble about. But here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that grumbling is subjective. In fact, it changes in you. I remember, I noticed now and then uh, a Facebook memory will pop up from 10 years ago. And, uh, and every now and then I'm just shocked at like what I posted 10 years ago. You ever had that? Like, what, like I'll see something like, I can't believe I just wasted 99 cents on this bag of Cheetos that's mostly full of air, hashtag ripped off, right? And I'm like, what, what in the world was I, what was I going through at this moment that, that I had to grumble about Cheetos? Not only that, but, but to post it on social media for the whole world to see and for me to be reminded about 10 years later. Like, have you ever noticed that? That like some things that you're grumbling about now, like maybe aren't a big deal or maybe things that weren't a big deal, all of a sudden, man, they just get under your skin. What about grumbling is, is so, it's so subjective for us. And isn't it true that when life is hard, that we are much more susceptible to grumbling. You ever notice that? That when life is hard, that we almost get this like filter of negativity, right? Because this one thing over here is difficult. Now I'm gonna see everything else 
through this negative lens. I'm going to grumble about everything that I can. I'm going to be looking for ways to be ticked off about whatever it might be that's in front of me. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? I know that's true for me. Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing or fighting, arguments. Man, we love, again, this is like our favorite pastime, isn't it? We love to fight about stuff. We just finished the series on anger because you look around the world and everybody is angry. And, and, and in fact, I'm going to pick on Christians for a moment because sometimes we can, we can be the worst, all right? Now, now, this may be funny. This may hit a little too close to home for some of you. But if that's true, well, I don't know. Talk to Jesus about it. But here's, I asked Google. I asked Google, hey, what are some stupid things that Christians have fought about? Here's some actual things that people wrote in this forum. Uh, they've seen church split over uh, the color of carpet that they're going to put in the church. Uh, churches have fought over whether or not they should have a kitchen in the building, which by the way, we have one right through that door. So if that's a red flag for you, there it is. Uh, here's, a, here's a big one. This one strikes a nerve. Uh, what instruments are biblically supported by scripture? Let's fight about that. Let's, let's have church splits over music. In fact, if there's anything that churches have fought about, it's music. Uh, oh, this one was good. If, uh, this church fought about, if we buy grape juice from the dollar store, does it still count for communion? <laughs> Churches have fought about if reading your Bible on your phone is as good as opening up a paper one. And churches, uh, this one, this guy said, his church split over the argument of whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Now, these are all kind of ridiculous, I get it. But, but here's the thing is that, man, we love to fight, don't we? Like, we love to fight it. And you look around the world, and everybody's offended about everything. And if you're like me, you look at this and go, okay, I get that. But aren't there some things that we should fight for? Like, does this mean that we should just walk around and, and just kind of be pushovers? That, that, that we should just put a smile on our face and not fight for anything? Well, here's the thing is that we, we should, there, there are things that we should fight over. There are things that God asks us to stand for. There are things that, that we should hold with a closed fist. But the difference is how we fight. And the difference is what the outcome is. You see, as you read through the scripture, especially in Acts, as we get more into the book of Acts in our season, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you'll see disagreements and, and fights between the apostles. Where, where they would literally go off in separate directions because of a disagreement. You see, this happens sometimes. And sometimes it's over ridiculous stuff like the color of the carpet. And other times it's not. Other times it's much more serious stuff, stuff that God cares about. But, you know, that's actually one of the things I love about our staff here. Now, you might have the idea that be a church staff during the week, that, that our week is full of like birds singing and, and like harp playing and like Bible reading and, and just this amazing like euphoric time. But, but here's the deal, like behind closed doors, when we're in meetings and stuff and when we're trying to work through some stuff, sometimes we take the gloves off and have a good old fashioned fight. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because we have a goal. And that goal is to honor God and honor each other. That oftentimes through some good, healthy conflict, the outcome is better. And this is actually true uh, in anything, in relationships. 
This is true at work. This is true in whatever it is that you do, that healthy conflict can be good and, and necessary. But that's not what Paul's talking about here, is it? In fact, the words that he uses in the Greek are in this present active tense. It's a, it's a command, and he's saying it in a present active tense. And what that means for us is like an ongoing like, don't ongoingly be grumbling and fighting. That doesn't mean that you can just not grumble once and, and like, check the box and then go on. It's kind of like if your doctor says, hey, I want you to cut out fatty foods and eat more salad. And so one day you have, like, salad for, for lunch, and you're like, check. And the next day you're like, all right, let's go get some hot wings, right? No, it's ongoing. So what Paul's talking about here is, is don't just be in a posture of grumbling and fighting, you ever notice that in yourself? Are you there right now? Are you in a season where you just have this posture, where you're just ready to fight, where you're just ready to grumble? Again, that negativity lens that's across your face. Don't do it continually. That's what Paul is talking about here. So he says this, he commands, do everything, all things without grumbling and disputing. And in verse 15, so that, here's the reason, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, Paul's saying here is like, look, don't have this posture of fighting and complaining and being offended and grumbling and all that stuff all the time. Why? So that in the middle of a twisted and crooked generation, you're blameless. He's not talking about being blameless before God. That's something that Jesus gives us that doesn't change, that, that when we put our faith in God, that we are blameless and innocent before him. That doesn't change. What he's talking about is what does it mean to be blameless in front of a crooked and twisted generation? I mean, you know that. You look around the world. It's no news to anybody. The way that people outside the church view the church Right? And maybe you've even heard the names. You've been called the names like bigot or old-fashioned or judgmental. Or, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And here's what Paul's saying is, look, don't give them any reason. Don't be uh, fighting and complaining just like them and, and give them a lot of reason to not look at you, to not trust you, to not listen to what you're saying. Instead, be viewed as innocent and blameless. And then he says, and you are lights in the world. When you do this, when you are different, when you're not grumbling and fighting about everything like the whole world is, when you, when you don't do that, you are actually distinct and you stand out and you are lights in the world. Rick Randall, some of you know Rick and Jan Randall, a couple of amazing people in our church, love Jesus, love people, they serve like crazy people all the time. They're, they're just, they don't serve crazy people. They serve like crazy people. That's what I meant to say. I mean, they're just always serving. Uh, uh, last year, Rick was in our Stephen ministry training. And if you know Rick, you know that he loves cycling. And, uh, and he's this real quiet, kind of humble guy. You wouldn't guess it, but Rick has a need for speed, man. He, he loves to go far and fast. And so uh, one day he was coming down this mountain, just flying. And who knows how, he, he says maybe 45 miles an hour, which is fast. And sure enough, he comes around this curve, hits some sand, and the bike came out from under him. And he crashed. 
Ambulance came, the whole nine yards, taken to the hospital. I hear about this, and so I give him a call, and, and of course, he's hurting. Excuse me. And he says, Chris, yeah, I don't know exactly what's all going on yet. They're still trying to figure some stuff out. I have six broken ribs. I have a broken collarbone. They're not sure if they have to do surgery on that yet. I probably won't be at Stephen ministry training this week. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 Rick, like no pressure, man. Like you do you, you rest. I mean, if this was me, come on, like give me six weeks in bed, right? Sure enough, Sunday morning rolls around and guess who walks in these doors? Rick Randall. And I'm like, Rick, what are you doing here? Because he looked like he was standing like this. No kidding. His shoulder that was broken, I don't remember which one, was like down. He didn't have a sling on or anything. And I, like, I was afraid to get near him. I go, Rick, what, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, well, I'm on the prayer team today. I go, Rick, we got other people that can pray, man. Why don't you go home? He goes, no, no, that's okay. I'm here. I go, but Rick, you don't even have a, a sling on. He goes, I know. I didn't want people to be afraid to come to me. You see, when I read Paul's words about grumbling and complaining and instead being lights in the world, that's what I think of. I mean, every reason to grumble and complain, every reason to just ditch church, every reason to just, to just go into his own world and, and be controlled by his own pain. He's like, no, 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 I, I want to be here. I mean, he was a light here. He was a light for, for us. Every reason to complain but he stood out as distinct. You see, the opposite is true. When we grumble, when we fight, the light that we're supposed to be in this dark and twisted and crooked generation actually goes out. I'm a big fan of, of flashlights. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd about it, especially headlamps, all right, anybody? Okay, you should try one. They're awesome. In fact, some days when I'm like around the house doing chores and like I'm in and out of the garage or, you know, doing in the shed, like I, I just put my headlamp on. My wife makes fun of me sometimes, uh, but it's like the best tool ever because no matter where I go, I can see. But, but here's the thing, like let's pretend I take that off and I set it in my dark garage. I can't find it. Why? Because, because the light's off. Here's the thing, Christian, when we grumble and complain about everything, it's almost like you're taking your light, you're turning it off, and you're throwing it in a dark garage. And then you turn around and you tell your neighbor, you tell people around you about the love of Jesus. And they look at you and they go, really? Like, I don't know that I see any difference. Like I see you on social media fighting about all the other stuff that everybody else is fighting about. I see you grumbling about things that don't matter. And then here you are telling me about this abundant life, this freedom, this liberty, this love that I get to experience, but, but I don't see any different friends. Do you see what's at stake here? Paul says, don't grumble, don't fight, so that we can be lights in the world. So what should we do instead? We're going to skip verse 16. In verse 17, he says this, do this instead. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, here it is. And again, it's a command. You 
should also be glad and rejoice with me. You should also be glad and rejoice with me. And here's the thing. These are the same verb tenses as before. Don't grumble and fight, right? Active tense, doing this ongoingly. Be glad and rejoice. Again, it's an ongoing thing. Do this ongoingly. Be glad and rejoice. And this is Paul who's chained up in jail, facing death. And he says, I'm glad and rejoice. You should be glad and rejoice. And these words, glad and rejoice, are literally to be glad is to feel happiness and joy bubbling up inside you. And to rejoice is literally to do it with other people. And if you're like me, you see that and you're like, hold on, Paul, time out here. How do you get off commanding my emotions? (laughs) I mean, Paul's not talking about just putting on a smile, but still inside being all upset. He's talking about a literal change in the way that you are feeling at a gut level. He's saying, be glad in here. Feel it. Let it bubble up within you. Let this joy bubble up inside of you. Instead of grumbling and fighting, when life gives you lemons, let this joy bubble up inside of you. Paul, how in the world do you get off telling me how to feel on a gut level? And here it is, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. That's the answer. Holding fast to the word of life. Let me ask you this. What are you holding fast to? What are you holding fast to? You see, if there's a blessing about when lemons come our way, is that they quickly show us what we're holding fast to. What are you holding fast to? Are you holding fast to your comfortable way of life? Are you holding fast to your relationships? Are you holding fast to your success, your prestige? What what are you holding fast to? Here's the thing. None of those things are terrible things, but they're terrible things to hold fast to. Because what Paul's talking about holding fast to is, it's what is it that you're hanging your life on? What is it that your soul is dependent on? And he's saying, instead of holding fast to all these other things, instead of clinging to all these other things, instead of betting the farm on all of this other stuff, instead hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to anything else, and it's going to let you down. Hold fast to anything else, and you are going to be depleted, angry, helpless, frustrated, and prone to grumble and fighting. But if you want this joy that's inside that you can't explain this real happiness, this joy that comes from deep down inside your guts, he says, stop holding fast to everything else and instead hold fast to the true word of life. What are you holding fast to? Right before this section, right before these verses, Paul says this word, therefore, And then he gives this list of things to do and not do, like don't grumble, don't fight, be joyful. But you have to understand that this whole section of therefore, I think it starts in verse 12, is based on what's right before that. And so what's right before that? Verse 5, let's read this. This This is the word of life that he's talking about. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was 
in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of of the Father. That's the word of life. That's what Paul's talking about here. Are you holding fast to the word of life? Maybe you have held fast to the word of life, but then you've started to grab onto other things over time. Is now an opportunity for you to let go of those things? What is it that you need to let go of? What do you need to release control of? What is it that you need to say, okay, you know what? This is important to me, but I can't, I can't hang my soul on it anymore. What do you need to release so you can free up your hands and then you can grasp a hold of the word of life, which by the way, will never ever leave you wanting. The word of life will never ever let you down. He will never ever leave you in a space where you're like, well, crap, that didn't work like I thought it would. Where's God now? Like, you're never going to experience that with him. Why? Because he's never failing. He's always faithful. He's always there. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Would you grasp a hold of the word of life today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for just like we read, for coming to earth, for literally limiting yourself and putting yourself in the confines of flesh, being born as a baby and, and living in poverty and working among us and living among us so that you could show us a new way the way of life. Jesus, you then were obedient to death on a cross in my place, in our place, R rising back to life three days later to claim victory over death. And in doing all of that, you've made a way for us to come back, to come back home to come where we can find love and acceptance like nowhere else. To come where we can have identity that's given to us that we can never lose. Lord, you welcome us in. And thank you, Father, that when we hold fast to the word of life, that no matter what comes our way, we can experience joy bubbling up inside because we know we know who you are. We know you intimately and you know us. So God, today we, we let go. We let go of everything else, everything else that's keeping our attention and our energy. And God, we hang our lives, we hang our souls on you. Would you help us to do that? 
We thank you for it. It's in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and maybe you for the first time are wanting to put your faith in Jesus, wanting to hold to the word of life, maybe for the first time, man, we want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you about what that means. Just text this number, text the name Jesus to this number. Or maybe you've been holding on to Jesus for a long time and maybe you've, your grasp has weakened and you've started to hold other things and you want to and you want to redirect your life, redirect your affections back to him, you can text Jesus as well. We'd love to talk with you, all right? Every weekend we spend some time celebrating and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus with the bread and the cup. And as we do, I just want to take a moment today for us to stop and just reflect. How is your grasp right now on life Are there things you need to let go of? Do you need to hold fast to the word of life? Let's take a few moments and just reflect on that. Jesus was sitting with his disciples as he took the bread and the cup and he said, remember my body and my blood that's been broken and poured out and given for you. The bread of life, the cup of life. Let's remember together. In the cup. We're gonna do now just what Paul commanded us to do, which is rejoice, to get together with like-minded people and to celebrate, to rejoice God and his goodness. And so we're gonna stand in just a few moments, but during this time, if you would like prayer, there's gonna be people over here under the prayer sign. Mark and Sherry are there right now. You can feel free during these next 20 minutes or so to to make your way over there. We'd love to, to pray with you about whatever it is that's going on, all right? Would you stand together as we pray, as we sing?